0: your land, and we're just four messages into that. So Joshua was the leader that followed Moses. Moses was responsible for leading the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and then it was originally the intent to take them into the promised land, but the people rebelled, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and then because of a basically a temper tantrum, Moses was angry. And disobeyed God when God told him to do something specific. He did opposite in anger. God didn't allow him to go into the promised land. So now this new generation is being led by Joshua. And they're preparing to go into the promised land. We'll look at verse number 10 and 11 this morning. Actually, this will be helpful. Read verse number 9. This is the conclusion of what God was saying to Joshua. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So God commands Joshua, verse number 10, Joshua begins to carry out those commands. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, now, I'm about to blow your minds here, some of you. Prepare you victuals. I'll deal with that in a minute. Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. So one title could be this. To possess your land, you better prepare your vittles. <laughs> we'll call it this, though, possession requires preparation. Possession, possession requires preparation. we've asked God to bless the service. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. At this time, Ms. Jessica, we'll sing a song, and then we'll get to the preaching.
1: Only words to me, red letters on a page, just something people say until it brought me to my knees. Those words in John 3.
0: a wonderful blessing. That's a great truth. So thankful for that. I'm, I'm almost inclined to ask Miss Jessica to come back and sing that song again. That's uh, good stuff. I'm so thankful for it. And it does, whosoever does mean you. And it doesn't matter who you are or what it is. And I, I love the idea that his, his sacrifice, his blood, his grace were necessary to deal with my sin. But once it's dealt with, it's dealt with, and it's done. It's gone. It's a, it's a great truth. So thankful for that. What a, what a humbling encouragement. And I'm sure to appreciate that. Well, in Joshua chapter 1, at this time, the, the transition between Joshua and Moses has taken place. And God did two very important things that we dealt with last Sunday and the previous couple of Sundays. Number one, he affirmed Joshua. He reminded Joshua, look, Moses, my servant, is dead. And as we looked at in the previous chapter, Deuteronomy 34, there would never be another Moses. But God didn't need Joshua to be Moses in order to use Joshua. God just wanted Joshua to be Joshua and to trust in him. And so he affirms Joshua in this way. You're the man that I've chosen. You're the one that I'm going to use. And he made this great statement to Moses. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. You remember how I was with Moses. You remember how I was with him at the Red Sea. You remember how I was with him at the rock. You remember how I was with him when I sent manna. You remember how I was with him in the pillar of fire and in the pillar of the cloud. You remember all the wonderful things that I've done. Well, I'm going to be with you too, Joshua. Isn't it great that God's not limited to a personality? God's not limited to a particular type. That God will use those that he chooses who will humble themselves before him. And so he affirms Joshua, Joshua, you don't need to be Moses in order for me to use you because I'll be with you the same way that I was with Moses. But then he commands Joshua, all right, Joshua, he was blunt too. You look back in verse number two, Moses, my servant is dead. They've had what we would call a funeral. They've honored the life of Moses. It's days, days and days of mourning Moses, and now those days are past now therefore arise, go over this Jordan now and all this people into the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel so he affirmed Joshua, and then God commanded Joshua hey look, there is a land there is a land to possess, and it's time to go I understand that You've been through a difficult transition. I understand that Moses was loved, and you're just coming out of the wilderness. But this is no time to stand still. There is a great opportunity before you. Now, just so that we're not confused and everybody's on the same page, when we are applying the idea in our day about possessing land, we are not talking about physical land. Every one of you, though, has opportunities that God has placed in front of you. Whether it be your marriage, whether it be your children, whether it be your job, whether it be working through some kind of trial, whether it be overcoming some wrong that was done to you, whether it be a talent or an ability, whether it be a spiritual habit, whether it be conquering a habit, you have an opportunity that has been placed before you that God wants you to possess. Understand we're living in a time in our nation when there's great confusion and great frustration, And there is also great fear and people are uncertain about how to live their life and what is the best way and who should we listen to and who should we believe. And to those who would put their faith, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and you claim to believe the word of God, I want to tell you in spite of everything that's going crazy or that seems to be so out of control, there is still great opportunity for the people of God today to live their life in a way that would please him, to help others know his Love, to help the truth of Jesus Christ to be in the hearts of those around us, to love others, to minister to others, and to make a difference in the world that God has placed you in. There is still a great opportunity. It's no time to sit around, it's no time to be afraid, it's no time to give up hope. The land is before us to possess. And he's saying to Joshua, I have affirmed you and I have commanded you. It is time to move. It's time to get busy possessing the land that God has laid before you. I have this habit. I have what I think is a really good idea. And I think about it for about 37 seconds. And in that 37 seconds, I find all the affirmation I need and all the confidence that this is a great idea, and then I just start doing it. It's like I told one of our men recently, um, and I was just talking to him about I thought some others knew about this. I had a great idea that it would be awesome to have a pool in my yard. So you know how you have a pool? You dig a hole. You just get a shovel and move dirt. (laughs) So I just like, I'm gonna go start digging a hole. (laughs) no I'm not talking about actually installing a pool I'm talking about man I'm from Louisiana I swam in bayous man this hole in my yard will be way cleaner like that's irrigation water it's way cleaner than the bayous I promise (laughs) so I'm just going to dig a hole and then my kids can jump in it great idea right yeah that's what my wife thought (laughs) yeah one time I, when I was in college, I was, I was, Andrew and I were married when we went to college, and uh, my brother and his wife were there, and uh, my brother and I decided one night, late, it, man, it'd be fun to go camping, and there were some mountains about two hours, uh, smaller mountains about two hours south of Oklahoma City where I was going to school. It's called the Wichita Mountains, and actually for that area, it's a really cool spot, And you're supposed to, I think, you're supposed to go southwest and you take I-44 to do that. We instead, or something like that, we instead got on Interstate 35, which takes you directly south to Dallas. So after driving about three hours at like midnight, one of us was like, maybe we're going the wrong direction. (laughs) And so we pulled out a map And we're like, yeah, we're a little bit of waste. Well, let's go ahead and get there. So at 2 in the morning, we roll up at this place. Everything's locked up. It's pitch black. It's protected. There's form. We have no idea what's going on, so we drive around. We mess around. We cross some fences. I'm pretty sure we weren't supposed to cross. And then it's like, well, this isn't going to work. Let's just go back home. So we get back to our apartment at 5 in the morning, but we're too embarrassed to go in and admit to our wives that we had completely failed, so we just slept in the front yard out in the apartment complex, say we can't you know what that is a result of a lack of preparation it's one thing to recognize the opportunity it's another thing to realize I have to prepare I have to do some things in preparation in order to make the most of that opportunity so Joshua says to them in three days you're going to pass over this Jordan. And so he uses this word in verse number 11, prepare. You need to make preparation for food. Now, you see the word, I have pronounced this word wrong for so many years, and I've, this is the first time I've actually ever humbled myself. It is not victuals, which is what it should be based on every stinking grammar rule I was ever forced into learning growing up. And this just gives me a bad attitude about so many educational things right here. But the word is actually pronounced vittles. B I T T L E S is what it sounds like. It is spelled V I C T U A L S, victuals, but it is actually pronounced vittles. You say why? I have no idea. Doesn't matter, just get it out of your system cuz it's a real distraction to me right now. The point is he's talking about food. You need to make You need to make preparation to have food. Now, that should cause you, if you're thinking about who we're talking about, that should cause you to ask a question. Why would they need to prepare food for themselves? Because if you remember, this entire time they've been living off of food that was divinely provided, called manna. Well, we're not there yet. But Joshua is aware, and as we get into chapter 5, a whole lot happens in a brief period of time, and you get into chapter 5, you find that the manna is going to stop, and that God is going to cause them to have to live off of, they're going to have to live off of the land that they are inhabiting. And so they tell them, you need to make preparation for food, for this journey, for this task, For the opportunity to possess the land, you need to make some preparation. That's going to, my provision in this way is going to end soon. And so you need to work at preparing for the journey, for the work that is ahead. It's going to take a long time. And you need to have this in preparation so that you are able to nourish yourself, so that you're able to have strength, so that you're able to accomplish the tasks. And do the work that is before you. You have to prepare food for yourselves. So just in this simple command of Joshua. That in three days time we're going to pass over this Jordan. So you need to prepare yourself vittles. You need to make dietary preparation. There are two principles that people miss when it comes to making preparation in any area of life, but especially for God's children when it comes to making preparation to possess the land that God has laid before you. So notice a couple of phrases. First of all, in verse number 11, notice this. He uses this pronoun, prepare you victuals." Now, we see in verse 11 that there's an authority structure that's clearly in place. So God commanded Joshua. Then in verse number 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people. And then the officers of the people, they would be like magistrates or governors or mayors. The officers of the people, they then go to everyone else and pass on the command. So you see how this is flowing. You see the chain of command. You have God giving Joshua the command. You have Joshua giving the officers the command. And then you have the officers of the people. They are passing on that command. And this is what you do not hear anyone in authority saying at any point. You do not hear them saying, you don't, you don't hear Joshua saying, hey, I'll make everybody a lunch. It's not what you hear. You don't hear the officers saying, all right, we're going to pass out gift cards to Chick-fil-A. Because Chick-fil-A then would have been awesome. It wouldn't have been closed on Sunday. It would have been closed on Saturday back then. But that's beside the point. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there to keep, make sure you're paying attention. All right. so, so no one no one said, hey, we're going to make food for you. This, this comes up in, when we're planning youth activities. Specifically with on our way to Bible camp in the summer, This trip happens in June every year for our teens. It's a great time. But this is what we tell the kids. Bring a sack lunch because we're going to leave here and we'll eat here or we'll stop. But you need to prepare yourself food. So we stop at some point and some pathetic little 14-year-old comes to Brother Vi. He's like, Brother Vi, I'm just so hungry. Look, bro, I told you to make your own food, homie ain't my job. You make, it, make your own peanut butter. Man, every 14-year-old ought to know how to put some peanut butter on some bread, for crying out loud. Make your own lunch. You don't find Joshua. You don't find the officers. You don't, you don't find God telling them to do everything for them. You find God commanding Joshua, you lead the people in this direction. You find Joshua telling the officers who are there to help him lead, we're moving in this direction and this is the preparation that needs to be made, so pass this on to the people." The responsibility to prepare wasn't up just to those who were in charge. It wasn't up to Joshua because he was the the primary leader. It was up to every individual family. It was up to every individual to make preparation for themselves as their needs required. Here's the first principle for preparation personal responsibility. Now the culture we live in has two mentalities. Someone else needs to do this for me. And if something is wrong, it's somebody, it's somebody else's fault. This is certainly not my fault. But part of preparing to possess the land God has laid before you is taking personal responsibility for your life. Now, Before I get into some application about this particular point, just to make sure we understand, this doesn't mean that other people don't need to do things differently. And it doesn't mean that other people don't need to make things right. And it certainly does not mean that you have not been hurt or are facing some challenges in your life. But in spite of the challenges and in spite of the hurt, there are still opportunities for you to possess But you can never fully possess them if you are not willing to take responsibility for your life and the decisions that you are making. And we have grown, we have become, we are inundated with blaming others. We are inundated with expecting others to do for us what we should be doing for ourselves. And that has infiltrated that mindset of dependency and that mindset of blame has infiltrated the lives of God's people so that we want everything to be done for us when it's hard to do, and if we mess up or if there's a challenge, rather than taking responsibility to make it better or to move forward, we want to lay blame on everyone else instead of just assuming responsibility, I'm gonna take control of this to the best that I can, and I am going to make something of it. So let me give you some areas to consider. Take responsibility for your marriage and the kind of spouse that you are. If we have any young couples in here, if we have any young couples who are thinking about marriage, will you please get this point? You can never control the kind of spouse your future spouse will be. You cannot control that. And to try and control it will only result in bitterness and frustration and disappointment. You can influence it, But you cannot control it. You know who the only person in a marriage you can control is? You. As a wife, you can't control the kind of man your husband is. You can only control the kind of woman that you are. As a husband, you can't control the kind of woman that your wife is. You can only control the kind of man that you are. So take responsibility for what you are doing. And it can accurately be said. It can accurately be said. Man, my husband really has some things that he needs to improve. Okay, a couple of you laughed at that. Ladies, would you like to say amen there? Okay, maybe I need to say it a little stronger. Your husband has some things he desperately needs to get better. Oh man, I heard Miss Tina back there. Brother Rod, you need to send her down the slopes a few more times. But you can't, you, you say, my husband needs to improve this. Uh, just for kicks, I want to say, men, anything your wives need to improve just to watch you sweat right now? Oh, no, she's an angel. Did it hurt when you fell from heaven because you're just an angel? Please. Just all nervous right now. Yeah, they, they obviously have things that they need to improve. There are obviously things that they can do better. And yet so many marriages struggle continually over and over because a husband or a wife is constantly looking across on the other side at what their spouse needs to do differently instead of just saying, I am going to work at being the most godly and the best that I can be. That's not a guarantee that the other person will ever do everything that they should But you can only control one person in that relationship. And far too many people spend way too much time trying to control their spouse instead of just working on them. You prepare. You work on you. Parents, you need to take responsibility for your children. God did not give us children to let this corrupt, perverted culture raise. God did not give us children to let screens raise them. God did not give us children to let their friends tell them what was the best way to live their life. God did not give us children to allow a filthy and vile institution known as Hollywood dictate to them what is right and what is wrong. You take responsibility for your children So many times we want to blame friends, and we want to blame relatives, and we want to blame everybody, blame the pastor, blame the youth director, blame the youth director all you want, but just don't blame me. We can find all kinds of people that we want to blame, but at some point, you take responsibility for how you are raising your children. You prepare. They're your kids. Man, I love this point. You understand, you don't need permission to be their daddy and mama. That when they were born, God gave you permission to be their daddy and mama. You don't need the government. I'm saying it on YouTube. You don't need the government to sanction your authority. You don't need them to tell you it's okay. You're their dad and mom. You don't need them to like you to be their dad and mom. I've had a couple of occasions where my kids don't think I'm cool. and I know this sounds hard, but you ready? An MP, not my problem, don't care. (laughs) I don't need you to like me to affirm that I'm your dad. I don't need you to like every decision I make to affirm that I'm making the right decision for your life. Take responsibility for your habits. I mean, I just... You know, you know, Pastor, I was exposed to this as a child, and then I had some friends do this. I had some some people influence me this way. Just about everybody can tell some kind of story like that about something. I remember, I remember lying to my dad about something that came into my life as a result of a wicked influence that i was hanging out with at the time and when i when i had to deal with it the way i got victory over it wasn't by blaming that kid that i hung out with it was by admitting to my dad that i had lied and i was wrong you know what's called taking responsibility stop stop blaming Stop pointing at other people. Acknowledge the influences that have, that have resulted in you being where you are. But it's, that there's a difference in acknowledging the influences and acknowledging the injustices and acknowledging the things that you can't control. But at some point, if you're ever going to develop the right kind of habits, you've got to manage your own life and you've got to take responsibility and you've got to stop living under the shadow of what other people have done or the neglects of other people in your life. How about this? I'm going to borrow from Miss Rhonda's class or just reference it. They're going through a book right now called Lord, Change My Attitude. Take responsibility for your attitude. You have a bad attitude. You have a critical spirit. You tend to complain about every decision that's made. You tend to critique everybody just because they don't do it exactly the way that you want. That's not a problem with everybody else. That is a problem with you. Have, ha, work on you having a good attitude. Work on you loving people, even if you don't always agree with them 100%. Work on you respecting people, even if you don't always understand why they're doing what they're doing. Work on you not constantly being critical, not constantly complaining. I understand this is really fun right now, but it is very helpful. You work on your attitude. Just say to the young people, you work on your obedience. Well, my dad, my mom. Okay, every kid in here could honestly stand up and say, my parents are not perfect. And they could probably, you could probably point out some specific instance where you'd say, yeah, they they weren't perfect in this area. But God doesn't demand that your children be perfect in order to demand obedience from you. Does that make sense, ladies? Does that make sense, guys? He doesn't demand that that your mom or that your dad be perfect and only if they're perfect do you obey them. Listen, we're not talking about weird, crazy extremes. We're talking about moms and dads who love the Lord and love you and they don't always do everything perfect. God commands you to be obedient to your parents. Just obey. Why don't you check your attitude instead of blaming your friends, instead of blaming your parents. You work on you. Take responsibility. I love what Joshua said. Prepare you victuals. And some of you need to get your vittles in order, and you need to stop blaming everybody else and take responsibility for where you are. But you can't ever make progress if you don't. Number two, notice back again in verse number 11. He said, prepare you vittles for within three days. Here's the pronoun again. Ye shall pass over, watch this, this Jordan. Joshua didn't say just go in whatever direction you want to go. Joshua didn't say, figure it out as you go. So it wasn't like my brother and I going camping, (laughs) camping. Yeah, we're just going to jump in the car and wing it. Joshua had a very specific direction that was based on the leading God gave him that you are going to cross over this Jordan, and that they even maybe it's possible they're even, they're even gathered near the spot where they are going to have a miraculous crossing, which we'll get to. But they, you're going to cross this river, and you're going to cross in this area, and you are going to be moving in this direction. Joshua gave very specific directions. It's almost as though Joshua had spent time with God and knew that God had a plan And that he was supposed to follow it. So here's principle number two of the right kind of preparation. You need to have a specific plan. So um, from Justin, so we have six kids right now that take piano lessons. Jackson and Jaron don't yet, and uh, Miss Becca is their teacher. And so when it's time to break, well, well, let me start over, I'm sorry. If you're going to make your kids take piano lessons, you need to make them practice. Because it is pointless to have a piano teacher when you never practice. And there are a whole lot of parents that would blame their piano teacher when they actually need to blame their kid because their kid won't ever practice. Which then means they need to blame themselves because they won't make sure their kids are practicing. You're welcome. That's free right there. Wasn't even in my notes. Don't blame the teacher when you won't make your kid do their homework. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted here. So they have a practice time every day. It's a part of, it's a Andrea has it a part of our curric. their curriculum, not ours. I'm not in school. <laughs> oh has it as a part of their curriculum. It's a part of their work day. And they have they set a timer and they go and practice. And I've noticed this on occasion when I've been at home. And they'll they'll sit down and they'll just start playing some random song. That sounds like they have it mastered. And I'll say, "Hey, Addison. Is that the song you're supposed to be working on this week?" <sighs> no. You understand, sister, it's not helping you to practice something that you're not actually supposed to be working on. I know, but it's easier. You have, to, you have to practice the specific things that your piano teacher has given you. You have to follow. You see, the piano teacher actually knows some stuff and they actually have a plan, but you have to be willing to follow the plan. Part of, part of possessing the land for the children of Israel was understanding that there was a specific plan that God had in mind and then being willing to follow that plan plan. This is, this is the opposite of exciting. This can almost in some ways be dull, but these are the kinds of things that can make such a big difference in the lives of God's people as they try to move forward in specific areas of their life. It's that we know we need to make progress in our marriage. We, need to, we know we need to make progress with our parenting. We know we need to make progress with this habit. We know we need to make progress with our work. Or our work ethic. We know we need to make progress with our finances. We, need, we know we need to make progress with our attitude. But then we acknowledge we need to make progress. But then we don't put any work to understand what that progress should look like. And there is absolutely zero effort put into having a plan for how to move forward. You know what practicing the piano. You know what, what practicing the piano is. Following a plan that has been laid out. That's been prepared work on this lesson, do this thing, work on these drills, learn this song, get to this point this week. And in the same way, we need to have a specific plan in our lives for the steps that God wants us to take. Maybe you say my marriage my marriage needs improvement. Okay? Step number one to possess that, take responsibility. Okay, so as a dude, I'm gonna stop blaming my wife for everything that's wrong, and I'm gonna find out what I can fix in my marriage. Step number two, I need to have a plan for that. I need to cross this Jordan. I need to have this step, so what can I do? Well, here's what I noticed. I'm having time to do a lot of hobby stuff. I'm having time to hang out with some other guys. I need to make sure that my wife and I are going out on some kind of date at least once a week. You know what that's called? having a plan, and so I'm gonna put it on the calendar that Andrea and I have time on this day, and I'm not gonna let that time be interrupted short of anything that's an emergency. I'm gonna have that time with my wife. You know what that's called? That's called taking responsibility and then having a plan. I got a plan now. You know, I I really need to grow. I really need to grow spiritually. I've just kind of, hit the plat- I've kind of hit a plateau in my spiritual life, and it doesn't feel like I've grown. All right, so step number one is to take responsibility. Here's where some people struggle. Well, you know, if I had a different pastor, I could grow spiritually. Now, in some cases, that's true. Don't be afraid to say amen to that. You think whatever you want to think about me. That's true because not everybody that calls themselves a pastor is preaching the word of God. Sometimes, sometimes that is the case, but there are a whole lot of God's people that are hearing the word of God. They're just not doing what they need to do with it, and so you take responsibility and say, "Okay, pastor, pastor has his flaws, obviously, but there are some things that I can work on. So I'm going to have a plan. Here's my plan." I am not going to turn on my favorite TV show of the day until I know I have spent time reading my Bible. Man, it's really quiet right now. Take responsibility. I didn't say read it for two hours. I'm just going to every day work on having time with God and I'll start off in small increments. I'm not going to go out and work in my shop. I'm not going to go out and do this thing that, it, that needs to be done, but it's not urgent until I have spent time with God. I'm going to have a plan to read my Bible. I'm going to have a, time, a plan to pray. I'm going to have a plan to get to church. Isn't it amazing how hard it can be to show up to church? <laughs> how much planning has to go into it? I mean, our, our Saturday night is different than any other night because of how challenging it can be and how many things can arise. And so there's a different bedtime, and there are different habits and processes that we have on Saturday night, all in preparation for making it to church, not just on time, but in the right frame of mind. So we have a plan. Have a plan. You say, my... My issue is forgiveness. I'm I'm having a real bad attitude with some people. I have some resentment in my heart. And I I have this bitterness that is deeply rooted. Well, number one, you need to take responsibility for it. You need to recognize that Jesus forgave you, so also do ye. If Jesus was good to you, you need to be good to other people. Did Jesus suffer wrong at the hands of people? Yes. Did he forgive those people? Yes, he did. He was willing to. And so you ought to have that same spirit. Take responsibility that Jesus did this. He's in me. He can help me do this. So I'm going to work on, I need to take responsibility for my attitude. Number two, I need to have a plan. Well, what plan can possibly, can possibly help me to have a right attitude? Well, number one, I'm going to thank God for the good things he's done in my life instead of focusing on the stuff I hate. Just gen- generally. Number two, I'm going to consider that person, and I'm going to thank God for whatever good I benefited from them. Number three, I'm going to think about this. I'm giving you ideas for a plan. These things have helped me. Number three, I'm going to consider how I have failed some people. And as uncomfortable and as hard as it is, I'm going to think about specific people that I have hurt or disappointed by my life and my actions, and I'm going to think about how much mercy God has given me And then number four, I'm gonna pray and say, God, will you help me to forgive them and have a right attitude towards them? You know what that's called? Taking responsibility and having a plan. Some of you, you need to improve something with your kids. We were talking about this in, in Sunday school. Children don't ever plan their disobedience to be convenient with you and your schedule. Like, okay, mom and dad, you got an open slot between two and four because I really feel the, feel the urge to throw a fit right now. You think you can work that into your planner today? Because I, listen, when we're, out, when we're out at the Costco, I would really like to roll on the floor and scream like a crazy person who's being deprived of every good thing in life and who never gets anything from you. Do you think you could work that in your schedule at all? Do you, know, you realize your kids ever do that? They act like you without ever consulting you. <laughs> they just <laughs> Oh, that was funny. <laughs> it's true of my kids too. They act like their mom all the time, man. I can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> so you know what? You, you need to have a plan. Hey, hey, hey. Is it true that disciplining your children in the heat of the moment can be done in a way that doesn't glorify God? Hey, hey. The Bible's specific about how you ought to discipline children, but God never condones angry violence. Yeah, somebody, say, you say, well, I mean, my day. Listen, I can't help everybody's day and what everybody went through. I'm just telling you, it's one thing to discipline your children. It's another thing to be controlled by anger. So you know what you do? You have a plan. You think through it before you're in the moment of intensity. Before you're in the moment when you're so frustrated with their behavior or angry or your schedule's been severely interrupted and you think through, this is what I need to do. When this is done, I need to stop and I need to specifically say in my own heart, God help me to do this right. Then I need to get control of them and I need to say this and I need to do this and I need to make sure we get to this point every single time. You have a plan to work through it. And so many, so many God-fearing parents fail to give any kind of preparatory thought to how they are going to discipline the children. And if you leave raising your children up to the heat of the moment, you will make mistake after mistake after mistake. Don't leave it up to the heat of the moment to think about. Make plans in advance. Think through possible scenarios. And that shouldn't be hard, bro, because you know what it was like to be a sinner and a child. Okay, I thought that would land a little better, but that's okay. How about this? Listen, I'm not not trying to just go on and on. I want us to think. How about having a plan for how you're going to handle temptation? And we are surrounded by temptation. We are surrounded by influences trying to lure us away. Whether it has to do with the abuse of sexuality. Whether it has to do with wandering eyes. Whether it has to do with our attitude. Whether it has to do with coveting something that God doesn't have for us. Have some kind of thought, put some kind of thought into when something crosses my vision that I know I shouldn't focus on. How should I respond? And then ask God to help you respond to that and teach your children to respond that way. Man, I, I understand different people have different standards about certain things. And so you can think whatever you want to think about this. I enjoy watching sports with my family. And we, 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 watch, we watch football games today together. But I have trained my boys from the time they were little. When the camera focuses on the cheerleaders, their faces go down and their hands go up. What do you mean? I'm not trying to embarrass them, but I've got a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old sitting in here with me. When something like that happens on a screen, this is what you see, two young teenage boys doing this. You say they look weirdos. Yeah, but their heart's being protected. You know why that happened? Because we had a plan. I'm not saying they're perfect in it, but you teach your children how to respond. You teach them not to latch on to things visually that they shouldn't be latching onto. You can't prevent your child, you can't prevent yourself from, I can't say, I'm never going to see anything I shouldn't see. Things are all around us. You know what you can do? You can plan for how you're going to teach your boys to respond. You can have a plan for how you're going to respond, sir. Here's the benefit of having a specific plan. It helps you to think through the steps when there's no pressure. The pressure's not on. I I love doing this. This is a parenting technique that we used for years training our children. We would practice sitting in church while we were at home on a Thursday night. All right, kids, it's church practice time. And you know what? We didn't actually have singing or preaching. They just had to sit still for how long, for however long I told them to. Kids can sit still in church. Like they can learn. You say, well, it's hard. I get it, it's hard. Were your kids perfect? Not even kinda. You see how hard of a time I, you see how fidgety I am? Man, our kids struggle with it. But they can learn, so you have a plan, and you practice it. It helps you to think through the steps when there's no pressure. Number two, it gives you the steps to follow when there are challenges and you are struggling to get your thinking under control. You have a plan. Here's this statement, and then we'll be done. Preparation to possess your land requires that you take responsibility and develop a plan or how God wants you to move forward. This is what I think happens sometimes, is that we, I'm gonna come sit here. Can I sit by you, Miss Penny? It's like, here. Yeah, man, that's good. That's good. That's good. Man, I, yeah, do you believe God has a land for you to possess? Yeah, he's got a land. Man, I I want to possess that land. All right. The land's possessed. No, it's not. Nothing has changed because you heard a sermon about it. Nothing changed because you heard this truth or were reminded of this truth. You have to get to this altar and say, God, I need to take responsibility for some areas in my life that I've been blaming everybody else but me. And maybe it's not my fault, but I need to stop living under other people's failure and I need to start owning my life right now. Own it. You know, I I love this in sports. I love this statement. When we were playing at our gym, this is our house. I love that idea. You know what you can say about you? This is my house. God owns me and he has given me the power to live my life pleasing to him. I'm going to stop looking everywhere else and I'm going to start living my life the way that he wants me to live. I can't control everybody else, but I can control me. Some of you need to get to this altar and just take responsibility. Ask God to help you take responsibility. Some of you need to have some good long conversations with your families and say, what kind of plan do we need to have to improve this area? Have a plan. The land is there to possess Man, I'm trying to help us see it. I believe God wants us to see it. But in order to possess it, you have to prepare by taking responsibility and having a plan. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I sure do appreciate you giving attention and staying tuned in. I know it can be, I know it can be tedious, but it's worth it. With Just shaking off the weariness, waking ourselves up for just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if there would be some that would say, there's an area of my life, and and look, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I just want to give you a chance to, whether you're at home or here, to acknowledge this before God, to be responsive to him. There's an area of my life that I need to take responsibility for that does not mean that I'm guilty, but it does mean I need to own and control what I am doing, and I need to stop waiting on everybody else, and I need to do right. You say, I've got some areas I need to take responsibility in my life, and God has convicted me about something specific regarding that, and I, wanna, I want you to pray for me. I want to acknowledge that before the Lord. Yeah, I see him going up. Yep, yep. God bless you for your honesty. But the next step, don't, don't stop short of taking responsibility. This, this is a step of great diligence. And this is the step that separates those who enjoy a little success and those who enjoy a lot of success. It's the willingness to have a specific plan. I had, I had something come up with one of my children, and it wasn't a bad thing at all. It was a good thing. And, and I was talking about this situation with some other folks, and, and they said, man, that must have been a really hard situation to, to navigate. And I said, no, it wasn't because I had a plan for it. Honestly, it's something I've been preparing for for years. And it's not, it's not credit to me. It's just by the grace of God. Have a plan that is of God that you know how to respond And yet, it's just, it takes work. And sometimes we're just lazy. We plan our work. We plan certain businesses. We plan vacations. We'll have a plan for how you're going to work on your marriage. Have a plan for how you're going to improve your spiritual life. Have a plan for how you're going to get involved in a church. Have a plan for how you're going to strengthen your relationship with your children. Have a plan. Father, you know who is, you know where we are, and you know what's going on. And I, I just ask that you would please bless and help our response to you. Father, you're good. You're just a good God. And you want us to have victory. You want us to take possession. But in order to do that, we have to prepare by taking responsibility thinking through the details of what that looks like, having a plan. So Father, would you help us to take steps? And maybe even this morning, the first step is just to get to this altar and pray together. But whatever it is, Father, help us to be responsive to you in Jesus' name, amen. While Brother Nate sings, Miss Jessica plays, you have opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd be more than happy to do that, but you respond to God as he's spoken to you. Well, it's great to have you with us again. I just I want to encourage you with the invitation time. Don't be don't be worried about how long it's going or what are people going to think if I'm still down there praying? If people are thinking the right way, they're not worried about you praying. They're thinking about themselves. And I wouldn't be worried about what someone else is thinking. I'd just be worried about not being responsive to the Lord if he's spoken to you. And so don't don't ever be in a rush with that. But I hope that you'll, you'll think through this and, and really I understand that it's not emotionally motivating, but if you're going to make progress in your life, you've got to own it and you've got to have a plan for how you're going to take those steps forward. You, you must put that into practice in your life to one degree or another. And there's obviously a lot of room there, but let the Word of God and the good counsel of godly people help you in that. Guest, again, it's an honor to have you with us. And if this is your first time or you are a returning guest, thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. And we we genuinely counted a privilege that you would even you would even spend one service with us. So thank you for being here today, and uh, we'll look forward to being here tonight. Got a, got an exciting service tonight, and that will be at five o'clock, and we are looking forward to it. So I hope that you do not miss it, brother Nate will dismiss us with a song, and hope you have a good afternoon, and we'll look forward to being together tonight.
2: Amen. All right, we're going to close with number 76, The Lord is Good. 5 p.m.